George? George? Oh. <laughs> I'm Wick Thayer, chairman of the Susan Ross Foundation. Wink. Wick. Wick. <laughs> well, as you know, the uh, Rosses had considerable monies. Well, I, I know they have some monies. Mm, they had more than some monies. Many, many monies. <laughs> and they planned uh, to give a sizable portion of their estate to you and Susan after the wedding. So if Susan and I had, I mean, if the envelopes hadn't, uh, then we... Yes. And now? Not. It's all been endowed to the foundation. Even this townhouse. This townhouse? Yes, this would have been your wedding gift. And now? Not. Not. <laughs> also endowed. George, I know how much Susan meant to you. This can't be easy. You know, it really can't. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Academy Award nominee and Golden Globe winning actor Bruce Davison. Bruce's career goes back over 50 years, appearing in a number of films and TV shows, including Willard, Longtime Companion, The Fosters, Vendetta, and several films from the X-Men franchise. But Seinfeld fans will always remember him for playing Wick Thayer in the classic season eight episodes, The Foundation, The Soulmate, and The Van Buren Boys. And we're so honored he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Bruce. Well, thank you for having me, Adam. And Eric. (laughs) (laughs) So the first episode of Seinfeld that you appeared in was The Foundation, which was the first episode of the eighth season. So I'm curious, were you aware of how season seven ended before you appeared on the show? Uh, Yes, I was. I've been friends with Jason over the years and uh, was always a big fan of the show. But I, I had to go in and audition just like everybody else. So I walked into the room and I, the usual suspects were there. And, and I I said, um, so uh, I got to say these words. You want me to do that? And Jerry said, well, we're all adults here. So, uh, so uh, (laughs) I auditioned, got the job. And that's how ended up doing Wick. (laughs) Nice. And uh, did anything about your character change compared to when you read it at the audition? Well, not really, except, you, you know, Wick's pretty much a straight man for for, for uh, everything that Jason goes through. So that was kind of fun. I just I love being, a you know, sort of stand up, stiff upper lip to his um, insanity. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the Foundation was also the first episode without Larry David there. So was that something that you knew about when you were on the set? No, I didn't. I didn't know that 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 Larry had uh, left the show at that time. You know, a number of us all played poker together at a place called Norby Walters had a floating poker game for 35 years. And uh, a few of us would show up and uh, Larry played in some of those games. Jason played a lot of them. So, uh, you know, we meet that way. Did you ever talk to Larry about the fact that you were on the show after he left? No, no, I didn't see him after I left. Uh, he uh, he was off or, or running on his own show by then and uh, was mostly, I guess, in New York. So, um, 
but I see Jason. I see. In fact, I'm working with him now on a, a project, and uh, we did. A, he directed me in a play last year too. So we and we go back into theater long before uh, he got onto Seinfeld too. So we've known each other a long time. And since this was Jerry's first episode without Larry there, I'm curious, like, what did you observe from watching him run the show that week? Um, I have no, nothing to compare it with. So for me, it seemed like a smooth running machine that uh, worked it. I, uh, you know, I didn't <laughs> I, I, I don't think any of us felt any uh, bumps if, if we hadn't been on the show and, and knew what was going on at the time. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed being there, you know. But uh, all the extras and and uh, guest stars have to sit on a bench. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say Jerry was in charge of the show that week, or was it more Andy Ackerman, the director? Well, I, I, I worked directly with Andy, so I mean, uh, um, I would never get any any other direction except through Andy, and. Uh, so I don't know what people were saying. You know, I think he's really not so good. We want to fire him. Well, I don't know. We could hire somebody else. No, never heard anything like that. I don't know. That might have been going on. <laughs> what did you say Jerry was saying in the audition about how we're all adults here? What was he referring to? Well, I I, I came in and I was a smart ass about it. So I really have to read this scene for you guys. You know, you know. Oh. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, no, well, we're all adults here. I mean, no reason why we shouldn't go ahead <laughs> so it was kind of you know it's kind of back at you kind of a smart aleck remark that i threw and he smacked it back at me <laughs> so like you said you've known him for a while but what was it like working with jason in those episodes well jason is always wonderful to work with and uh he's taught me an awful lot over the years especially with comedy um just this last year, I worked with him on a project with uh, Francis Farmer, and, and I did a play at the uh, Pasadena Playhouse that Jason directed. And he would continually push me into a place that was broader than I felt comfortable at. But in looking back afterwards, he was right, and I was just scared to put it out there that far. But, you know, he spent his whole life in comedy and, and musical comedy and musical stage and he's used to being big and going big I, you know I've done a lot of theater too but I've never had the opportunity to play broad comedy the way I, I, we were doing in the Pasadena Playhouse and I may have given him some difficulty as him sort of cattle prodding me <laughs> forward be a little more brazen than I usually am but it all paid off in the end, and he was right. I mean, he was absolutely right. And did you and he improvise anything during rehearsals that made it into that first episode? I'm trying to think. I don't think – no, it was pretty well set. Uh, was, uh, lines would change. Certain things would change, you know. Some things would work, or some things they'd hammer. A little money, money, more, more many, many monies, you know. <laughs> Stuff like that all sort of slithered through. But um, I remember one time they were they changed the line. It wasn't in a scene, but I remember Jason having a line about I was eating a piece of cheese the size of my head. And I thought that was funny. But then they came up with another line. He said, I was eating a piece of cheese the size of a car battery. 
<laughs> that's better yeah and it all it was like that every show every little bit would go boom 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 jumping up and finding a way towards something a little more clever precise and in that first scene you have with jason george is staring at the picture of susan when you walk in the room <laughs> and you say hi to him but he doesn't hear you at first and then you kind of right. tap on his shoulder and he jumps a little bit but uh-huh. it looks to me like jason startles you a little bit in that scene was that the case or was well, that just the no, way you played just, the scene just reacting to the time bomb going off you know there right he's, you know i just sort of everything i, ne- I never know what he's going to swat so it's just an instinctive kind of move to um two-handers in a comedy are always like a fast tennis game you gotta you know crawl under the lobs and get the fast ones and then run up to the net when it comes over short. So you never know what it's going to go, but there's an awful lot of physical comedy that he's always been great at. It's like, you know, you never know whether you're going to work with a fire plug that's coming undone or uh, that's shut off. So that was just, you know, one of those intuitive moments. Yeah. And the season seven finale was definitely controversial with some Seinfeld fans because not everyone liked the way that George reacted to Susan's death. You know, it was kind of a cold reaction, you know, <laughs> wasn't sentimental at all. because that wasn't the show. And I think the introduction of your characters, the Susan Ross Foundation chair, was their way of punishing George for that. But did you know if in that first episode, if you would be a recurring character for that season or if it was just the did they just say it was a one off? Um, he said maybe a couple more and I didn't know. And then they came up with the Van Buren boys, which was fun. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was a that was a great episode based on, I think, uh, an incident that uh, Jerry Seinfeld knew about Jerry Lewis in which he he left the recording um microphone inside his briefcase and then left it in the room to find out what they were saying after he left. I think that's based on a true story. So that's sort of how that happened. Oh yeah. The soulmate. Yeah. That was a great episode. Oh, that, that, right. That's right. I keep forgetting that, you know, I get them mixed up because of the other storylines are all right up with that, but it was good to be able to, to, you know, uh, to be the one in control (laughs) <laughs> of uh, Jason and to just uh, twist him a little bit. I sort of like feeling that I'm winding up the uh, winding up the the toy and seeing how it runs around. <laughs> That's always the fun of a straight man. In oh yeah, you did a great job of pushing his buttons there. When you're like, he's like, are we about to wrap up here? You're like, oh, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I was. Uh, and and the, and then the punchline to the end of that too, where you, where they all, you know, he's so scared that they're afraid that he killed her, and um, he's that's what he's trying to find out. And by the time he finds out, he leaves the room and goes out, and the little plug at the end was, oh, how many here thinks he killed her? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, what's next? Let's go on with the next <laughs> business. So that was that was clever. It's always clever writing. Amazing. <laughs> There was also that great ending when you're like, okay, next item, Susan's doll collection, estimated value $2.6 million. Let's go through this doll go by doll. back to the doll collection that he hated so much. <laughs> that was always just another little dig. Ding, 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 ding. It's basically what I came in is was just to pitchfork him a bit. Right. Let's see, that beach house, 48 acres. Oh, Southampton, that should fetch a fair price. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, yes. Well, we all have those dreams. At least, <laughs> well, at least us character actors who were supporting. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not a regular. They did pretty good for all of them. But they had the best show of the era on its time, and they just caught the wave and wrote it to beat the band. Absolutely. So what was it like coming back for the second episode in a row? Did you feel more comfortable on the set that week? Yeah, and that's that's true. You know, the first I always hate being the new boy at school. Yeah. That's always, you know, what me as a character am lots of times. I'll come in and I'll be the lawyer or the doctor or the, the chief or, you know, the crazy neighbor. But uh um, I, I I like that because it gives me an opportunity never to get locked into any one thing. You know, I've done a few series, but more or less I like being able to float around and to be able to do comedy or or, or drama or um, anything in between. So um, it's fun. It was fun. It was a lark. You know, you come in for a week, you do a show, you go on <laughs> to the Catskills the next week. <laughs> And who did you spend the most time with on the set? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I remember spending time with uh, Ben Stiller's dad was there. So I spent time with Jerry. And uh, I always enjoyed his company, being with him. And um, trying to think of who who else. Uh, oh, oh, Newman. <laughs> Newman. I go back a long ways with Newman, too. We uh, We worked on Broadway together during the 70s uh, in different plays, but we'd always, you know, get together for lunch and stuff. He was doing a play called Gemini, I think, and I was doing The Elephant Man. I think that was right at the time. Oh, he was fantastic in that episode, The Soulmate, yeah. when he's feeding Kramer the lines in the library. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, they're all just so brilliant. Uh, I mean, and I... I think Michael, I've known Michael probably the longest and, you know, his sense of physical comedy is, is just, you know, he's in there with Buster Keaton. He was just an amazing physical comedian. How about uh, John O'Hurley? Did you interact with him at all? Do you yes, know him? yes. In fact, I knew John from um, there's this thing. There's a guy named Marjorie Gortner and he had celebrity weekends and it's skiing trips and stuff. It's like a three day weekend. And, um, and I would spend time with him there because he was like master of here's always master of ceremonies. <laughs> but he's got a whole other shtick going that was really wonderful on that show. I really enjoyed him. <laughs> and you talked a little bit about Michael's physical comedy, but you didn't have any scenes with him or Julia. But do you have any stories about them from any of the episodes you appeared in? Uh, not from the episodes. I don't think I, I knew Michael. I, I actually was uh, on a scuba driving diving trip with Michael years and years before that Ed Begley, we'd rent a boat. We went out rent with uh, two guys that went on to become multi-billionaires selling uh, sock underwear and stuff. But um, <laughs> I remember diving with him one time and <laughs> he swam away and <laughs> He popped up about a quarter of a mile away. Oh, yeah. So, so I knew Michael. and We'd uh, spent time together there. Um, uh, Michael lived with a, a woman for three years, and they broke up, and uh, I ended up marrying her years later. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> oh, wow. Michelle. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Do you have a favorite scene you were in or a favorite line that you said? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm afraid I mentioned that already at the end where, you know, he leaves and we all say, uh, oh, who thinks... You know, who thinks he murdered her? Oh, we all do. Okay, well, nothing <laughs> on to the next bit. He imbibed her glistening spell just before the other shoe fell. <laughs> Is that a Keats poem? No, it's a Newman. <laughs> well, I gotta run. Does anyone think George might have murdered Susan? Oh, yeah. I just assumed he murdered her. Of course he killed her. So it's not just me, then. All right. Back to business. So how was Seinfeld different compared to some of the other sitcoms you had worked on at that time? Well, it, it, it was like a comfortable shoe. It really wasn't forcing laughter. It wasn't forcing jokes. It was telling amusing stories and every week there was a new way to do it now they'd pump uh, they'd pump the jokes into that in a way that would work really well but it always had a sincerity about it it had a, a, a real sense of these are real people going through real events no matter how much it may seem like nothing there's always a comical situation that turns itself on its head and um, I've been in other comedy sh shows, some of which should remain nameless, I guess, where everything is pushing for a joke or pushing for the laugh or pushing for that scene to explode in some way. And, and um, that can get forced sometimes. It never felt forced on Seinfeld, no matter how, you know, bad the wheels might have been spinning off in the gallery. Uh, when the guys were rewriting every day, because every day there would be a new line or a new scene or a new joke. But what I found was they always got better. And I've been in other shows, sometimes pilots and things where they keep getting worse because they're trying too hard. And, and, and by this time, Seinfeld was like an old shoe. I mean, they, they were all wearing an old comfortable shoe that they knew how to play and so it was almost secondhand for everybody. True. Were there any scenes that took a while to shoot? I can't think of it. They just went on, you know, and they if they they'd pick up a scene, but it was shot, I guess, like on a Thursday and a Friday. They just shot with audiences, and and um, it just rolled with the punches of the audience. If something somebody missed a line or somebody did that, they'd pick it up, shoot it again. Um, but I can't think of anything that stopped it dead or, or, or you know, that we spent an enamorate amount of time on. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that scene when George is interrogating you guys at the foundation after he heard the videotape. Right. <laughs> I was wondering if, like, he did multiple versions of that if there or if there were alternate takes. Uh, well, I, as, as I can remember, it's hard to remember back. You'd have to ask Jason. But everything he did was funny. And interesting. And sometimes the, when we were doing it um, for an audience, the audience would stop it 
my laughing, you know, whatever he's come up. And then he's great at milking it, you know, just taking a moment, taking his time with it. It's like how to turn this slow lob into a big thing. But you never know how that's going to go. You know, lots of times it can go on whether somebody, you know, in the front row is really laughing or they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you, you know, how to how to play that. We got to tighten that up. You know, that's got to tighten up because, uh, you know, nobody's laughing. Well, let's get through this as fast as we can. Or, you know, well, I think I can take a little longer with this. You know, it's just the rhythm of the audience dictates an awful lot of what went on in that show. They had a firm net with all the writing, but then they could, you know, do like any stand-up, great stand-up comedian, and that's just let it stretch, let it play. Just, you know, you're playing your audience like a, a competition with you, you know, and, and, and it is, it's a dance. Yeah, it's true. Eric, I think both Eric and I have said this before, but a lot of times when you read the dialogue in the Seinfeld script, it's like you look at it and on the page, like, well, why is this funny? How, how could this be funny? Yeah. And then you watch them actually do it. And right. It's just genius, you know, yes. how they take the words and how they do it. Yes. Kramer walks through the door. <laughs> <laughs> do 10, 20 minutes on that. Exactly. And also in that scene, I love how you just bring George right down. Like he's on such a high. And then yeah. after he goes through his whole speech, you're just like, George, Quinn here was moving a chair. He lost his balance and dropped right. it. Well, that's uh, it. You know, it's, you're always undercutting. The big moment, the big moment I've discovered. And he's he's doing the prosecuting attorney. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, witness left. You know, right. it's just uh, it's there to support those four characters. That's what everybody else was there to do. I mean, except for Newman. Newman had his own ball of wax kicking that around. But uh, for the most part, most of the characters were there to support the four leads. In one way or another. Yeah, you did a great job. Well, thank you. It wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't in a lot. Like I say, you know, I just sort of bit, was sort of a, uh, a little sentence in the middle of a paragraph of a year. You know? <laughs> so, were there any additional lines or scenes you had that got cut from any of the episodes? No, I felt lucky about that because I didn't seem to have that much to start with in each one. So I didn't, nothing was. Uh, excised out you know i i was sorry about the very end of the show because what what uh, they all did was they had a party at the end of the pier in santa monica pier and they invited everybody to come and the writers all just say yeah him i'll take two of them three of those four. and that's how they put a lot of the actors together at the end and i was out of town i missed the party so <laughs> be in the last episode and did you shoot all your scenes in front of the audience? Yeah, yeah. That I can remember. I don't think we shot anything after the audience left. I think that, I think we shot them all with the audience. And what was it like when the audience came in for show night? Like, did you notice, like, the actors just kick it up a notch? Absolutely. It's like summer stock or anything else or, I guess, doing Shakespeare on the road. Uh, suddenly, when there's an audience... It's terrifying. Suddenly, yeah, right. very terrifying. <laughs> and everybody does kick it up a notch because they're all frightened, I guess. And I, and I never get over that, no matter how many times that happens. And I know the cast 
kind of felt the same way. I think that, you know, Jerry's is certainly a lot more used to it and doing stand-up for all those years. In fact, I would see him, uh, uh, I saw him uh, years later in New York, down in the village, just going into a little stand-up place, you know, Cafe Wa or something like that. And he was just trying out some new stuff, but it, uh, he lives for that. I can't tell how other people feel. Myself, I'm always terrified, you know, even in on stage, you know, I'd be in a play for a long time and still need a bucket <laughs> before I entered sometimes. Did any of the writers make suggestions to you on the set? I, well, mostly all the time you hear is pick it up, play it straight, you know, just pick that up, pick that up. So um, as far as the timing and the rhythm, you see the rhythm of the show and it works one way and you think, well, maybe it all works that. But no, each scene has got a different frenetic beat for the characters. And George was always this little volcano about to, to blow. You know, Jason was ready to explode. So oh, you just you got to feed the volcano. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'd say with Kramer, just get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead, go, go ahead. And um, and Julia had, you know, was always smart and clever, and she had Jay Peterman uh, to to bounce off of her wall, lots of times, and certainly Jerry and, and Jason and, and Michael as well. And we've talked mainly about the foundation and the soulmate, but you were also in that great scene in the Van Buren boys when George picked Stephen Corin for the Susan Ross scholarship. So what do you remember about filming that scene? Not much. <laughs> I, I just remember being there, but not having that much to do. Sort of well, you do have that great line where you're like, where George is saying, well, we all know the biases of standardized tests. And you're like, these aren't standardized tests. These are his grades. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly got a joke out of that. <laughs> Once again, it's all about undercutting Jason. Yep. Undercutting. Let him do, 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 go out on the branch and just <laughs> saw it off as quickly as possible. And let him kafump. <laughs> do you have a favorite memory from your time on the show? Well, yes. Um, I, I remember uh, certainly with Jerry Stiller and the, the, the woman uh, who was his wife. I, I forget her name. Estelle now. Harris. Estelle, yeah, who was uh, James Dean's girlfriend. Oh, no, that, James Dean's girlfriend was Liz Sheridan who played Jerry's mother. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. That, I'm confused with that. It's been a number of years. But I remember talking to her about those days because they, that's always fascinated me of it you know, what New York was like in the 50s and through the actor's studio and uh, uh, all of the, the stuff that went on at that time. And I love talking to the older actors that were there at the beginning, right in the middle of the Strasbourg beginning of it all, for for good and bad, you know, for <laughs> everything that came out of the, the method and uh, the New York method, the great theater that was going on at the time, which has always been a great... Uh, thrill to me I, you know my greatest thrill was uh, getting to to uh, work go uh, with the creator of death of the salesman arthur miller and uh, on the crucible when did the film of that and talking to him about how uh, lee j cobb was cast and how he worked 
because uh, everybody, it was, he played Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, which was, people consider one of the top three performances of that golden era. And, and uh, there was a piece that he wrote in which he talked about Lee J. Cobb was, he said he was like a lost walrus on a stool, just mumbling to himself. And I said to Kazan, should we fire him? Kazan said, no, no, let him, let him go. And then one day he said he looked up and he was talking about a crack on the ceiling and there was no crack on the ceiling, but there was Willie Loman, which went on to become one of the greatest performances on stage of all time. So I found that interesting how some, you know, sometimes people take their time and really need to grow and develop things. I find most of the time with comedians, they got to be really fast and think quick on their feet, even if they seem slow. But, you, you know, you watch the greats like Stan Laurel and, and Buster Keaton and people like that. And they may seem slow and, un, and witted, but everything is precise and everything is worked out to the razor's edge. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I find it's always amazing. And that was what was great about the Seinfeld show. Those there were four real great stock people that could represent everybody between the four of them, you know, and represent the feelings that we all go through. You know, sometimes we try to think of ourselves as being big and pompous and the roof falls in on us. Other times we're falling all over our feet. We don't know where we go. Other times we're just sort of laying back and observing the insanity of the world. <laughs> and that's kind of summed it all up in one show, which was why it was so great. Yeah. So out of the three episodes you appeared in, which one was your favorite? Oh, I, I guess the, the, the one in which we, we had the briefcase, <laughs> you know, that was so that was that was fun because I had a whole group with me, a whole board meeting of people to come down on on Jason. And he come in as, you know, he's Inspector Clouseau in that scene. He comes in, he thinks he's really figured it all out. And, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. So that was fun. I got to be part of a wave that just rolled over him like a tidal wave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. There are some people in this room who would have been very happy to never see this briefcase again. <laughs> there are people in this room who think they can destroy other people's property and get away with it. Well, let me tell you something about those people. They weren't counting on this brain. <laughs> This tape recorder. George, you'll have your turn. <laughs> the truth must be heard. Hey, what are you doing? Dear God. That's all there was. And yet, it speaks volumes. A low rumple. Metallic swing. A galong. Someone crying out, Dear God! <laughs> Let's start with, uh, with you, Wick. George, Quinn here was moving a chair. He lost his balance and dropped it. Must have fallen on your briefcase, which for some reason contained a running tape recorder. 
All right, then. We've gotten to the bottom of that. Did you ever get to socialize or work with any of the cast members outside the show? I know you mentioned Jason a little bit. Well, uh, uh, there was Jason else? and Michael. Um, I, I, my, my wife was, was uh, friends with uh, Julia when she was there. And so she talks a lot about her, but I didn't get to spend too much time with uh, the other two so much. But like I say, Kramer was, uh, I mean, uh, Newman, sorry, was a friend. And we, like I said, we had come up together as youngsters through the theater. He kept uh, trying to lose weight. And every time he'd lose weight, he couldn't get jobs. So he'd go back in. (laughs) And before we move on to our final segment, is there anything we didn't ask you about your time on Seinfeld that you'd like to share with us? Hmm. Well, the only thing was I, I eventually met a beautiful woman who was my wife and the mother of my child, one of my children. And that was great. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a wonderful uh, memory to have. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we let you go, we're just going to move on to our final segment. It's called This, That, and the Other. So basically, we just ask you a question, and the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. All right. So first question, what role or performance are you proudest of? Oh, well, um, I really am proud of a longtime companion film. We, we did that. We never thought anybody would see that at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And um it was like we all made 500 bucks a week, and it may be on TV, it may not. And it just was one of those things that took off. I think the most fun I ever had was Olzana's Raid with Burt Lancaster ch- chasing Apaches all over Arizona. That was just a, the most fun, if you could imagine, as a child growing up and finally having the opportunity to go toe-to-toe with Burt Lancaster. And... Um, a stage performance of The Elephant Man was certainly a great, uh, great event for me. That was in 1980 on Broadway. Huh. Oh. X-Men was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, there's one. It's a film called Short Eyes, which hardly anybody ever saw, but it's sort of the grandfather of uh, so many of the prison films. But it was written by Miguel Pinheiro and performed mostly by inmates who had written written the play at uh, Sing Sing. And Joe Papp put it on as a theater, and then from that we made a, a film out of it. So that was quite a harrowing experience, but uh, it was something I'm pretty proud of. And you mentioned Longtime Companion. You were nominated for the Academy Award for that, right? Yeah, for a supporting actor. What was that night like at the Academy Awards? Oh, well, unfortunately, I was up against Joe Pesci that that, that year, which uh, you you know, what do you think I'm amusing? I mean, is that what, you know, which has become a classic of all time. Um, but we had gone back and forth. I had won the Golden Globe, and he had won the uh, L.A. Film Critics, and I won the New York, and I went back and forth and back and forth, and then he won the Academy Award. And well-deserved, certainly. It was just one of those years. But it's, you know, awards are, are really the merry-go-round. You know, you're just going around. You don't know when the gold ring is going to come down, and you, you're in a position to grab it. It's just total luck. And what a great performance to say you lost to. I mean, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a 
quite the performance of his life, I think. Uh, incredible, yeah. What actor or director would you like to work with someday? Oh, God. Well, I'd certainly like to work with Spielberg because we were friends many, many, many years ago when he was sneaking over the fence at Universal. And we were neighbors. And I'm actually <laughs> the um, one of the first ones off the mothership in Close Encounters. I'm one of the four pilots, but I just done, I think, Willard or something at the time. So he couldn't show me any more than a shadow because uh, that would have looked kind of stupid to the end of great classic movie that he made. So I'd love to walk with him before I die, but I don't know. I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> um <laughs> I would like to work with Scorsese, certainly. He's a wonderful, wonderful jerk. And, um, um, yeah. Uh, what is your favorite film? Oh, gosh. My favorite is still Amarcord, which was Fellini's film about his his youth growing up in a small southern town. That's certainly great. I loved some of his earlier stuff, too, La Strada. Um I love uh, L'Enfant de Paradis, The Children of Paradise, which was shot during the uh, occupation of France. And there's so many scenes in which there like would be a it's a period piece. And there was a, uh, a the greatest mime, I think, of all time was Jean-Louis Barrault, who played one of the leads in that. Uh, there were just scenes in that that just jumped right out at me when I was young and seen that so i think they're they pretty much take the top a lot of them uh, i don't know I, I love good road pictures too like i say la strada or rain man you know that's pictures a good like one. that yeah. that work i liked um, um coppola's film the rain people was it that was another one with jimmy Kahn when jimmy Kahn did that film this one of his first films I enjoyed that a lot too, and I love horror films, and I, I loved Vincent Price and everything he did. I've always uh, enjoyed watching him and the kind of career he had. I've always admired. Oh yeah, incredible! Uh, favorite band or musician? Oh gosh, I guess I have to say the Eagles, and all of them in there, um, and then the uh, Cream. You know, oh yeah, had uh, Ginger Baker and you know uh, they were they were just wonderful. Um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I'm really dating myself now. Back no, in the period of time when those those were, they had a really sensational sound, their voices harmonizing together and and yeah. stories that told stuff. I've I've always loved the poetry of Dylan and his a lot of his early stuff. Most intimidating actor you've ever worked with? Nicole Williamson. Or Nicole Williamson, as he's as called. He was a, a British actor who was, I saw him do a brilliant Hamlet, but he was scary. Oh, Oliver Reed. I got to say, Oliver was scary, too. Oliver, But Oliver was the sweetest man in the world until he had a drink in him, and then he'd grab you in a headlock and try to kill you. But... Um, he was he was he was scary. It was a scene I did with him one time where he had to slap me. I thought my head was going to come off. <laughs> what about um, Daniel Day Lewis? 
Oh, I love Daniel. I, I should have mentioned him, too, in the long run, because I, I worked with him in The Crucible. And um, rehearsal period was very nice. We were very cordial, exchanging pictures of our, our baby children at the time. And we started to shoot, and we were shooting in sequence in The Crucible. And he wouldn't talk to me. He would do things to mess with me. And I thought, what the hell is going on? And and I turned to uh, Jeffrey Jones when I say, what's his problem? And he said, we're his enemies. Mm. Oh, I get it. <laughs> so we went through the 12 weeks and, you know, that whole contentious behavior and everything. And we shot it in sequence from spring to winter. And... Um, in the last scene, we're all sitting out there and uh, standing out there. And because it is my name, I cannot have another. I'm not with the blood on your. And and uh, we finish and the director says, I think that's it. I think we've got our film. We're done. And I look at Daniel and Daniel goes. <laughs> <laughs> then he hugged me and I started to cry. <laughs> he says, I know it was big. I know it's been difficult. It's been difficult for me to. It was just, you know, he's so much the method actor, which is why I guess he stopped acting now for a while. I'm sure he'll be, he'll, he'll get a taste of it and want to come back, I'm sure. But he just puts his heart and soul and everything he has into it. I mean, yeah. he would build, he built the set with 16th century tools with the, the carpenters there and stuff. Wow. Of, uh, you know, 1690. <clears throat> Salem on an island and ride to work on a horse. Who knows yep. where the hell he came from? <laughs> <laughs> the role you didn't get that you really wanted. Ooh, that's tough. There's a couple of the big red one, Sam Fuller, but I had to turn that down because I was committed to another part. Uh, but I would have loved to have worked with Lee Marvin. Uh, I met him in uh, Munich and we had a long conversation one night and I never saw him after that but I remember him talking how he was so looking forward to doing that with uh, Sam Fuller and then Dalton Trumbull's um, Johnny Got His Gun mm. once again um, I would have loved to work with that man but uh, I had a previous commitment and couldn't do that that was a difficult film and you know Neither of those films were great blockbusters, but, you know, that would have would have been nice. But, you know, I, I would have loved to have been in a some sort of major hoopla hit, you know, Maverick 2 or something. <laughs> but it's just, you know, you go where you're kicked. It's the way the world is. It's a character actor. <laughs> Most memorable moment working on the set of a film or TV show? Well, I would have to say uh, shooting with Burt Lancaster out oh, in the right. desert. Yeah. Burt would say, son, you're a hell of an actor. Goes without saying, but you don't use your rehearsal time properly. You try to give a performance for the sound man, the mugs, certainly the girl extras. <laughs> Comes time to your close up. Well, you've sh- shot your eye. Can't try to. <laughs> Got to save it for the close up, kid. Got to. Not try to act it. And I used to think when I was working with him, oh, I'm acting him off the screen. He's not doing nothing. I'm and then I'd see the rushes and it would be like this little chihuahua nipping at the heels of a bulldog who just sort of watched him. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> oh, I guess there's more to acting than just jumping out of your shorts all the time. But that's what we think when we're young. 
you know, we think that. And then we see what the real pros were who could hold their ground as a human being and as a, as a person who had gravitas, real gravitas, earned through many, many years. Right. Save it for the close-up, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite actor or director you've ever worked with? Robert Aldrich would have to be the director. I loved Robert Aldrich. He was wonderful. He was one of those, what you see is what you get, kid. You know, the actors will step out of the hot burning lights. All right, ready, shoot, go, print. Good, that's good. Let's go over that hill over there. Can you ride the horse up that hill? He was great. <laughs> I loved him. He was, um, and he had come up through the prop department at, I think he did the, the props. He was the head of props for um, Ten Commandments or something like that. But, you know, he started as a crew guy and he was a crew guy, but he was a crew guy who made films and he got them made. That was the great part about him. I mean, he got the dirty dozen made and he got whatever happened to Baby Jane made. And he was, he was a wonderful picture. There was a recent series on about, uh, about Betty Davis and, and uh, Joan Crawford, and he was a part in it, and I was so angry because he was taking a lot of guff from the head of a studio in one of the scenes, and I thought, boy, you got him all wrong. He wouldn't have stood there for 30 seconds to put up with that bullshit. <laughs> so I really loved working with him. Um, other great actors I work with, like I said, Bert and um, Henry Fonda directing the Kane Mutiny Court Martial was wonderful working with him and Lucy, Lucille Ball, doing MAME, which didn't turn out to be all that great of a film, but I certainly learned so much from her, mostly about the business, about, you know, what it takes to do that every day. Because she ran the show and she was still a vulnerable little seven-year-old girl when she wasn't being a truck driver. She could be both. She was like that. Uh, uh, Paul Schofield. No, sorry. Should I shut up now? But Paul no. Schofield was a great. Was one of the great actors that I worked with. Um, he was. He was a wonderful British actor. He won the Academy Award for uh, A Man for All Seasons. So he was. He was a great. Great actor. What current TV show would you like to appear on? Ozark. Oh, you were great in that. Oh, yeah, I was. Oh, I forgot. I was already in that one. Yeah. <laughs> OK, well, I don't know. See what comes along next and enjoy that. I just enjoy working. You know, that's a, that's a great thing about now. I still enjoy doing it. It's the doing of it. I remember Henry Fonda said that to me at one time. It's not about your results. It's about enjoying doing the work. He says, you know, I'm always disappointed with my results. They're never what I think in my head, but I enjoy the work and doing it. And you just do it as as well as you can with what you got. And final thing, you might have told us already, but favorite moment of your career? Hmm. God, I guess getting cast in my first part with Frank Perry, my first movie, uh, that was Oh, no. Although, well, that was one thing. But another thing was a stage moment. I, I was doing The Elephant Man and um, it, uh, between matinees and evening performances, they, they, you try to rest because it's a very physical uh, part. And this um, 
was a lot of noise over in one side. I thought there were high school kids or something, but I went out to speak to the group and somebody brought this man up. I could see they were all paraplegics in that one role. And he brought this little man up to me and he held him. The little man put his hand on my cheek and said, oh, so very moving. Thank you. Mm. And that sort of changed me. It's like why we do what we do when, when you get those chances to think that you really have some effect on a person's life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, one more thing I just have to mention, and yes. my mother would be upset if I didn't mention this, because when I mentioned that I was interviewing you and also when she watched your episode for the first time, she said, Bruce Davison, how do I know that name? And she ha- she absolutely loves Dead Man's Curve, the Dan oh, and Gene story. Gosh. And she said, if, when you interview, when I told them, when I told her we were interviewing, she says, you have to mention that. So oh, I just wanted to know. That's yeah, so wonderful. She, she I remember my, my son, uh, when he was about eight, saw it uh, at, at, on a DVD at home, and he looked up at me and he said, was there actually a time when you could jump off a piano? <laughs> said, yeah, kid, we all get old. <laughs> but yeah, there was. Well, this was a huge thrill for us, Bruce. Thank you so much for joining Thank us today. You, we God. really appreciate it. Thank you. I've had a good time talking to you. And give give my love to your mother there. I will. (laughs) Have a great night. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTBSeinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Okay, next item, Susan's doll collection. Estimated value, $2.6 What do you say we go through this doll by doll? <laughs>